Well, good evening. My name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here at Soul City Church, and I am proud of you for making it out tonight. And I, my hope is that uh, in our time together, when we leave here in just a little bit, uh, you will be grateful that you came to be a part of what God's doing here tonight. And so while we're receiving the offering, I want to let you know kind of where we're at in this series and, and, and where we're heading. This is week two of our Unto Us series. As Kurt mentioned last week, we looked at the reality of a God who came to be with us and what it would look like for you to spend this Christmas with him. And so if you missed that, you can go back online and catch that and catch up to where we're at. But today we're going to look at how it is that God is actually for us and what the Christmas story tells us about a God who is actually for us. We're reminded of it at Christmas, but it's something we need to know all throughout the year and all throughout our lives because the Christmas story itself can honestly, quite honestly, get rather confusing. And we can sort of pile things on top of the story that have very little to do with the story, but when we do so, it makes the story so confusing and even convoluted. And so what we're going to try and do in our time together here tonight is to get it as simple and as clear as possible, because I don't want this message to be confusing to anyone, because it's already confusing enough this time of year. I'm just going to show you what I mean. There's so many different things that we add to Christmas and so many different ways that we come to Christmas. And I want to just give you a couple examples of that. First, I want you to think about how you give and receive gifts and maybe the family that you grew up in. How did you give and receive gifts? My hunch is every one of us did it differently in this room. It can be a really confusing thing. Just by show of hands, how many of you growing up, you, you circled in a catalog or you told your parents what you wanted? You were very clear with what you wanted for Christmas by show of hands. Yeah, very good. That's the way my wife did it. She would circle things in the Sears catalog and show like her parents, this is what, now, I can tell. Those of you who were born maybe, you know, 25 years ago or less, a, a catalog, um, <laughs> See, we used to print the internet, and, uh, and so what we would do is we would have catalogs, and you would go through, and you would circle the things you wanted, and that's how you made it really clear, this is what you can get me if you want me to be happy for Christmas. No confusion there. And so the way my wife's family grew up doing gifts is, I'm going to tell you what I want and then act surprised when you give it to me. That's kind of how they did it in our family. My family, very different. We would never impose what we want upon you. So what we did in my family is we would just buy you things as a surprise and hope that you act like you wanted it. That's how we did it in our family. Her family, I'm going to tell you and then act surprised. My family, I'm just going to give you something and you act like you like it. Very different when Jeannie and I came together and how we decided to do gifts, right? It can be very confusing this time of year, how we come around this stuff. You think about it, just the different traditions that we have around Christmas time can be very, very, very confusing. Now, again, just by show of hands, how many of you grew up in a family where you opened at least one present on Christmas Eve? That was part of your deal. Yeah. I had someone at the 11 o'clock go, only one. Like they said it like it was a verse in the Bible, like that God said you can only open one present on Christmas Eve. It's in there. Just read your Bible more. Right, so we kind of grew up in a house where you could only open one, but it had to be from your stocking. Did anyone have that kind of rule? So again, lots of different rules and traditions. And so even the way we come around our traditions, or maybe your family kind of has always celebrated a certain way of Christmas, that's, that can make it even more confusing. And then you add all the songs and all the lyrics to Christmas, and it can really confuse this very simple message. Somehow in the Christmas message, we've added a little drummer boy. There's ships that are sailing in. Maids are milking something. And there's like that, all that's happening all in the midst. And it can get very, very, very confusing. 
And so it could be a real temptation to kind of just sort of cover your bases, just sort of cover your Christmas bases. And so I want to let you know, I've, I've done some shopping for you. I've looked in the catalog and I've circled something for you to help you cover your Christmas bases. I want to put it up on the screen right now. You can get Santa kneeling to baby Jesus. And if you just went, oh, that's awesome. This is available to you for $89.95. It's a Fabergé statue for $89.95 from Home Depot, which is where I buy all my Fabergé items. Now, maybe some of you had, we're not going to just show hands. Maybe you had this in your home growing up. Maybe you have this in your home growing up now. I get it because the Christmas message has become so confusing. We just want to kind of cover our bases to make sure we're getting it all right. And so the hope for our time, what I want to do in our time together here tonight, is to make what has become very confusing and convoluted as simple and clear as possible so that you can actually respond to the Christmas message. And at the end of my message, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the Jesus of Christmas. Now, for some of you, this may be the first time you've ever heard this message. It's gotten so convoluted and confusing to you. You never heard the simplicity and the power of this message. My hope tonight is that you would have a response to the God who showed that he is for you through Jesus. Maybe you've been kind of coming to church for a while and you'd call yourself a Christian, but you too have lost the simplicity and beauty of this message. My hope is that you would be reminded of the good news that we have to celebrate at Christmas time. Because that is what this story is all about. It is about good news. This is actually great news that we celebrate at Christmas. I had a call, someone call me recently, and I didn't recognize the number, and so I let it go to voicemail. Anyone, like you do that, right? You don't know, so I let it go to voicemail. Sort through that later. And so then I went back and listened to it, and the person was very excited and, and animated in the voicemail and was speaking like they knew me. And they said, Jared, I've got great news for you. I'm like, awesome. I'm listening to the voice. I'm like, tell me. He's like, I have great news for you. Uh, You entered a contest not too long ago. And I wanted to let you know that you have actually been selected as one of our grand prize winners. We have tickets for you to any destination you want in the world. And we have a a week-long stay at a luxury hotel. My name's Kevin. Just give me a call back. And I want to tell you about all this. This is great news. And I'm like, oh, Kevin, I'm calling you back. So I was so excited to call Kevin back. Now, when you hear that voicemail, what's the first thing you think of? Where were you when I needed you? Because I'm a pretty smart dude, and I've kind of heard these things before. But Kevin was so convincing. And it sounded like this was really great news. And the reality is, my son Elijah and I, he's eight. We enter a ton of contests all the time. In fact, today he saw a commercial for some dream home on HGTV. He's like, Dad, give me your phone. Like, he wants to enter every contest possible. So I just assumed our ship had come in. Like, we'd finally won one of the thousands of contests that we'd enter. So I called Kevin back. And after 45 minutes, I realized... This is not good news because there were strings attached. Of course it was a scam. I think all of us somewhere in the back of our mind have to wonder anytime someone says, oh, I've got really great news. I bet there's a part of every one of us that wonders what the strings are, where the strings are attached to this good news. Or is this really good news for me? It sounds like it's good news for you, but is this really good news for me? See, the Christmas story at its heart is good news, no strings attached for everyone. For you and for me. Good news can't be good news unless it's good news for everyone. 
If someone else has to suffer at the sake of my good news, then it's not good news. The story of Christmas is this is good news for everyone, no strings attached. Last week, we looked in Luke chapter 2. You don't have to turn there right now, but we looked at the angel's declaration to a bunch of outcast shepherds on the side of a hill outside the town of Bethlehem. And listen to the words that the angel said to them in Luke chapter 2, verse 10. The angel said, do not be afraid. I bring you what? I bring you Good news, that will cause what? Oh my, you sound like it. Like this is great news and good joy. Okay, so let's try it again. Like you actually believe it might be true. The angel said, do not be afraid. I bring you. That's it. That will bring. For who? All people. This is what the angel said. I've got great, no strings attached. Everyone wins with this good news. It's not good news unless it's good news for everybody. And this is good news for all people because today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the long-awaited promised one, the long-awaited deliverer. He is the Messiah, the Lord. See, this is really good news. That's what kicks off and starts the Christmas story. It's what's at the heart of the Christmas story. This is good news that will cause great joy for all people because a Savior has come. So what we have to understand is that there was other news before this good news. The reason that this was good news is because there was something else that came before it. Last week we looked in a moment of the 400 years of silence that preceded the Christmas story. 400 years of not a word from God being uttered, not a clear action from God in this world that anyone had seen for 400 years. But for thousands and thousands of years that preceded that, there was a lot of religious activity aimed at God. And this was sort of the news of the day. See, from the very beginning, God's intention and desire for us was for relationship. God's intention is always for relationship. But when sin entered into the story in Genesis chapter 3, the very sort of beginning of our story, sin enters in. It changes our relationship with God. And so God gives us a way to live with him in relationship with him because God's desire is always for relationship. And so that's where you see things like the Ten Commandments. You're familiar with those, right? Ten Commandments, God says, look, this is a way for us to live in relationship in the reality of the context of sin. This is how we have relationship with each other. But what God intended for relationship, we turned into religion. And over time, we began to worship the thing that was to help us worship God. And we made it all about sort of the rules and keeping the rules and who's in and who's out. And so for the thousands and thousands of years that preceded this good news, the daily news was there are things that I have to do for God. There's certain ways that I have to pray. There's certain times of the years that I have to show up. There are sacrifices that I have to bring the right way, the right time, the right day to the right person. And this is how I have relationship with God, apparently. I do things for God. That's the news that precedes the good news of Christmas. I do things for God. What God intended for relationship, we turned into religion and made it all about the things that we have to do and can't do for God and lost the God at the heart of it all. And so this is what happens. This is what precedes the story of Christmas. It's a story of us doing things 
for God, assuming that that is all he ever wanted, when what he really desired is relationship with us. And when it came to doing things for God, when it came to religion, there are few characters in the Bible that did it better or did more of it than a guy named Saul. Saul is this central character in the story of the Bible, perhaps the most sort of religious person of his generation. He was just had risen to the top of the religious ranks. If you thought you were sort of a religious person and did a lot of things for God, I guarantee you Saul did more. If you prayed really hard for something for a week, Saul had already fasted for it for a month. While you were busy trying to keep all the rules, Saul was busy writing new ones. That's how religious this character was. When it came to doing things for God, nobody did it better than Saul. And Saul has a radical transformation encounter with Jesus. Saul's life is literally wrecked by Jesus, by his amazing love and grace, and his life is literally turned upside down. And this guy who had committed and devoted his life to religion, to doing everything right for God, had his whole life turned upside down. In the process, his name changed from Saul to Paul, and he became one of the most influential Christian leaders in the entire human history. In fact, wrote about half of the New Testament. And I want us to look at one of the letters that he wrote in reflecting on this good news of Christmas that changed his life, even a religious person like him. So if you brought a Bible, I want you to open to Romans chapter 5. We're going to look at Paul, this super religious person whose life was turned upside down by Jesus, entered into a relationship with Jesus from religion, and begins to reflect on the reality of this good news of Jesus. Romans chapter 5, it's page 785 in the Blue Bible. If you didn't happen to bring a Bible with you, would you grab a Blue Bible and grab a pen? We're going to write a few things down and circle a few words in this passage. We say this all the time, but I just want to take a moment to say so now. If you're serious about exploring who this Jesus is and, and what it looks like for you to have a relationship with him, it, this is one of the most important tools you're going to have. And if you don't own a Bible, we can take care of that for you. The Bible that you're holding in your hand is now your Bible. We want you to steal a Bible from church this Christmas. One of the best things you can do. So if you don't own one, please take a Bible, because we think this is incredibly important transformational truth for you. We're going to read from some of this truth in Romans chapter 5, like I said, page 785. Paul is now reflecting on this bigger story of the news that came before the good news and how the good news has changed Everything, And this is what he writes to a church in the city of Rome. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. Paul says these words. He says, see, you, you, you see, I love this. You see, at just the right time. So Paul's reflecting on the bigger story of the thousands and thousands of years where God's intention for us was relationship and we settled for religion. And after 400 years of silence where God is literally inhaling before he breathes in the Christmas story into our world. He says, see, at just the right time. Now listen to this. While we were still what? That's a hard word for a religious person to say. While we were still powerless. In other words, while we could do nothing for God. Now again, this is the guy who had done it all and done it all right. Built his whole career on doing things for God. He reflects and says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, when we could do nothing for God, Christ died 
for the ungodly, for us, for everyone. When we could do nothing for God, God did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Did you get that? When we could do nothing for God, God did for us what we could never do for ourselves. He sent his son, Jesus, and at just the right time, he offered his life for us. All those thousands and thousands of years, what thousands and thousands and generations upon generations of religion could not ever settle, the one man, Jesus, settled through his death and resurrection. He is the final and ultimate atoning sacrifice. That means every other thing that came before to sort of work, to have a relationship with God through the systems and structures of religion, Jesus settles it all and says, I will be the sacrifice. My death will actually lead to life. And I'm going to come at just the right time when you realize that there's nothing that you can do for yourself. I will do for you what you could not do. I will offer my life for you, for the ungodly, for Everyone, remember, this is good news that will cause great joy for all people, powerless and ungodly people, people that we would assume God would want nothing to do with. God says, no, that is who I came for. That is who I came for. Paul goes off in verse 7, makes a little side point about the idea of someone sacrificing their life for someone else, giving their life for someone else. Romans 5, verse 7, he says, Look, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person or offer their life in the place of a righteous person. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. And I love what he very subtly does here. He says, look, there's righteous, or we'll call them religious people, and then there's just good people. He says the two aren't always the same. He says, very rarely will someone die for a righteous person. Will they offer their life? Why will they very rarely offer their life? Because the assumption is if they're a righteous person, they clearly have it all together. What do I have to offer them? How is my life worth anything more than theirs? They clearly are worth more to God than me because look how righteous and religious they are. Very rarely will anyone offer their life. But maybe someone would offer their life for a good person. Maybe you wouldn't call yourself religious or righteous but I bet, you know, I bet you know some good people in your life. Like people, they're just good people. They always have a nice thing to say. They're good to their family. Don't have any major like issues going on. And when they do, they kind of deal with it in a good way. They're good people. Do you know any good people like that? Oh, she's, she's such a good person. Oh, he's such a good person. Maybe that's how you'd describe yourself. You know, I'm, I'm not perfect, but I'm trying to be a really good person. Paul says, maybe... Maybe someone would offer their life for a good person. Paul draws a really interesting distinction here. He says, those are two paths that many of us attempt to take to try and get to God. There's the righteous and religious path, which says, I'm going to do everything I can do for God. And then there's the good path. I'm just going to try and be a really good person and hope that it all adds up and works out one day. Both paths are flawed. Because for those of us who maybe you grew up around church or, and you've tried the religious or the righteous path, you know that no matter how hard you try, no matter how much you do, it is never enough. There's always more that you got to do to do it right. There's always one more place where you got to get in line. There's always one more time that you mess up and then you got to make up for every time you mess up. And it's like a treadmill of religious activity to try and get yourself to God. It's exhausting and ultimately leaves you bitter and angry at God. That's never what he intended for you. He, his intention was always for a relationship. 
And for those of us who are kind of on that path, trying to go down the good person path, maybe you look at the righteous and religious person and go, yeah, there's no way I can do that. But I can be a good person. And you know that you're trying as hard as you can. But sort of the hard thing about just trying to be a good person is you never sort of know if you've tipped the scales to be good enough. And so maybe you're better than him, but you're certainly not as good as her. And so I'm going to keep trying to be good, hoping that it will be good enough. And so you never know. The religious person always knows that it's never enough. The good person never knows if it's enough. Paul says, look, maybe someone would offer their life for him. But Paul says, let me demonstrate who Jesus came for, who he came for. This is in verse 8. He says, look, look at this. God demonstrates his love. God demonstrates his own love. Now, that's very important. God demonstrates his love. It is his love for us that motivates him to demonstrate his love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, this is a huge thing. Very rarely will someone give their life for a righteous or religious person. Maybe someone will give their life for a good person. But here's what God does. He demonstrates his love for us by sending his son to die for sinful powerlessness us. Sinful powerless us. This is the message of Christmas. This is the hope that we have in Jesus, that he did that for us when we could do nothing for ourselves. No matter how religious we try to be or how good we try to be, God says, no, I'm I'm coming to seek and to save those who are lost, who are powerless, who are stuck in their sin. And it's my love that motivates me to do so. It's my love that motivates me to give my son for you, for you, for you. What you could never do for yourself, my love does for you so that you could have relationship with me. See, the angel didn't declare in front of those shepherds in Luke chapter 2, behold, I have Good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the city of David, God has given you a new list of rules. It's not what the angel said. God's given you a bunch of new hoops to jump through. God says, I know who you are. You're powerless. You're sinful. You're stuck in your own habits and patterns and addictions. I know who you are, and I love you you. And here's how I'm going to show you I love you. I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. And I'm going to do for you what you could never do for yourself. I'll pay the price for you. I'm going to give you my very best, my son. When you could never give me enough to sort of equal out the totality of your depravity, I will give for You, I will do it for you. This is my love on demonstration for you. This is the story of Christmas. This is ultimately what it all comes down to. The story of Christmas is simply this. The baby who came to be with became the man who died for. That's the beauty and simplicity of Christmas. The baby who came to be with became the man who died for me who died for you. 
Not only do we celebrate a God who came to be with, but we are broken by the God who came for you and me. While we were powerless and sinful and stuck in our own habits and patterns, this baby enters into our story and we celebrate that at Christmas. But there, really, honestly, it's not the end of the story because the baby who came to be with became the man who died for you and for me, who did for us what we could not do for ourselves so that we could have relationship with him. What a beautiful and simple story. You couldn't, so God did, so you could. You couldn't, you couldn't do it, so God did it for you, so that you could be in relationship with him, because God's desire and intention is always for relationship. So why would we settle for anything or anyone else or less than that? I was reminded of how powerful and simple and beautiful this story is through a friend of mine who's here this weekend, actually, for a bachelor party. He was a part of our church for a while and came to our church with a lot of questions. He wasn't from Chicago originally, but kind of had moved here and was, found our church and could recognize, I would say, could recognize a void in his life. Could, could say, you know, yeah, I know that there's something out there. I know that there's something bigger than me, but I can't quite put a finger on it. And I have a hunch that it's God. But his big issue, honestly, was that he, he wanted to have a relationship with God. It was just religion that kept getting in the way. It was the things done in the name of religion that he just couldn't get past. It was the way religious people had treated him in the past. And so my friend Adam would come with all his questions, and he would, you know, okay, I know that it's, I can, I can kind of get, I can see that it's Jesus, but I kind of have to get through or around this religion thing. And it was really great news for him, caused great joy, and we said, no, 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 that was never God's intention for you, that you have to do all these things for God to earn his love. God already did it for you so that you could be in a loving relationship with him. And to watch about two years ago, that breakthrough in him begin a relationship with Jesus. And to see his life changed and transformed when he got that there was nothing he could do for God, but that it had been actually done for him, that God did it for him. And the response that welled up in his life to God was beautiful and powerful. How can I offer anything less than my life to a God who's offered everything to me. And it was so fun having Adam here this weekend. I was reflecting on last year. He, he knew that a, a job change was coming and he was transferred uh, out to California to San Luis Obispo. Right? It's the San Luis Obispo. So we try not to judge him because we're good people. But he's in a warmer place right now. And so he knew that transfer was coming. And he said, Look, I, I love that God has wrecked and changed my life and I love this church. Adam said, I, I want to be baptized at Soul City. I want Soul City to baptize me. Because that's really the next step when you enter into a relationship with Jesus. That's your next step of obedience is to make it public and be baptized. And so we're like, yeah, we will get the tank. We'll wheel it out. He's like, no, 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 no. I want to be baptized in Lake Michigan. And this was last December 22nd. And so I brought a picture of what it looked like that morning. Isn't that cool? Those two seals out there. 
are Adam on your right and Kurt right here on his left, on Adam's right and your left. What was so cool is his devotion and dedication to say, no, God has done this for me, so what can I do for God? And to see someone get baptized in Lake Michigan deserves respect on so many levels. And to see someone's life literally be changed by this simple message of Christmas, that there's a baby who came to be with, and he became the man who came for Adam, for me, for you. This is the simple, yet life-changing, history-altering message of Christmas. And so the question is, for all of us, really, as we hear the simplicity of this story, as Paul helps us see about a, a God who came for us and did for us what we could never do for ourselves, as we see someone like Adam, a normal person who says, no, 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 this is what it's all about, a relationship with God. The question for you and for me is, what do you do for a God who's done it all for you? What do you do for a God who has done it all for you. You can't do anything to earn his love. You can't do anything to sort of make it right and make it up to God. So what do you do for a God who's done it all for you, who's made a way for you through his son, Jesus? Well, you do what Adam did. You do what Paul did. You do what Mary would have told you to do. You do what the shepherds would have told you to do in light of a God who's done it all for you. You simply say yes to what his son has done. You simply say yes to what the son has done. And you look at what he has done for you that you could not do for yourself, and you say yes. I accept what you've done, that you didn't just love the world, but you love me. Powerless, sinful me. And so I say yes to what the Son has done, and I begin a relationship with you through Jesus. See, this is the gift and the beauty of Christmas, is that that relationship can actually begin today. It can begin right now. You can have your entire life changed and wrecked and turned upside down by God today by saying yes to what the Son has done and beginning a relationship with God. And so what I want to do is give us an opportunity, give us a moment to respond, to say yes to what the Son has done. There's something that we do here regularly as a church which gives us a reminder of the reality of what Christmas is ultimately all about. You see, this baby who came to be with, who would become the man who would die for, before his arrest before his crucifixion, before God raising him from the dead. He gathered his followers, his disciples together. He gathered them together for one last meal together. And he took common elements on the table, things that were at every meal. He took a loaf of bread and he, in front of them, in the silence and the weight of that moment, broke that bread And he said, I want you, every time you look at bread, every time you partake of this part of the meal, to let this bread remind you, like, this is my body, which was broken for you. The point being here that I actually came to be with you. 
the bread reminds us that God came to be with. He had a real body. He was a real baby. He became a real man who gave his real life so that we could have a real relationship with God. He said, the bread reminds you of my body. This is with. I came to be with you and offer my life for you. So then he took the wine and he poured it and he said, this wine represents my blood. This is me offering my life for you. The bread reminds you I came to be with you. The cup reminds you that I gave my life for you. And that my blood is the ultimate sacrifice to pay the weight, the debt of all of your sin, of all of humanity's sin. It is settled and paid for, for you, through my blood. And Jesus said, I don't ever want you to forget that the God who came to be with became the man who died for you and for me so that you could have relationship with him. And so we're going to come to the table tonight, to these elements. We're going to break a piece of bread and dip it in the cup and let that be reminded of the power of the body and the blood of Jesus. And for those of you who would call yourselves followers of Jesus and you've entered in to relationship with him, then you have much to celebrate in this moment. You have much to be grateful for. You know that there is nothing you could do to earn that, but that it's been freely offered to you. And so as you come to the table, come with a full heart. Come to the table fully aware of what has been done for you so that you could have relationship with God. But for anyone who is yet to begin a relationship with Jesus, before we come to the table, I want to just say a prayer. I want to say a prayer that you can actually pray tonight, in this moment right now, to begin a relationship with Jesus. Again, I don't want us to get through this Christmas without me making incredibly clear what the Christmas message is all about and giving you an opportunity to respond to it. So I'm going to say a prayer that you can pray in your own words. This is not like a magic prayer where like if you prayed exactly as I pray, then click your heels three times, you instantly become a Christian. That's not the point of this at all. The point is your heart saying yes to what the Son has done. And so I want to give you words that may help you do that. I just don't want you to miss this moment, this opportunity between you and God. So I'm going to say a prayer that you can repeat. And as you come to the communion table, you are coming really, truly for the first time. You are coming to the table knowing the price that was paid for you and accepting what the Son has done for you so that you could have life with Him. And this is a very special moment for you. So let me say a prayer, and you can pray along in your own words. I'd ask if you would help to kind of close your eyes and drown out any distraction. And maybe for you, as I say this prayer, maybe you prayed this a long time ago as you were a kid or some camp somewhere, but you know the reality is, is you've kind of gotten on the good path of trying to be a good person for God and for others, or you've tried the religious thing and it didn't work, and maybe for you, you need to pray these words too. You need to come back home. You've added so many things onto top of, on top of this relationship thing with God. You've added so much to it that you've forgotten what it's all about. And so maybe you need to pray these words as well as a coming home, a coming back to Jesus. So you can repeat these words in your own words after me. Jesus, I thank you for who you are and what you've done for me. 
I accept what you have done for me through the cross and through the grave. I admit that I am powerless and sinful, that all my best attempts and worst moments have led me even farther and farther away from you. But I'm choosing to enter into a relationship with you through you, Jesus. I believe that you are giving me new life today and that you have sealed not only my eternity, but you have given me a new life here on earth as well, a full life that you've promised me. And so I believe in what you have done for me and I receive it in this moment right now. I come to your body and your blood as a new creation, someone made alive in you, having relationship with God through you. And Jesus, I pray for every single person who's saying those words in their own words right now. And for all the folks this morning who entered into a relationship with you, I pray that there would be nothing that holds us back, nothing that gets in the way, nothing that we add on top of the simple and life-changing reality of Christmas, that you came to be with us so that you could die for us, so that we could be in relationship with you. Help us to get that tonight. And I pray that that truth would literally transform us, that it would refresh and remind people who maybe have gotten stale in their relationship with you and who have piled all kinds of things on top of it, who've tried to do things for you to earn your love, that they would be broken down by the simplicity and the power of a God who came for them. And for those of us who've entered into relationship with you for the first time, I pray that they would be extra aware of how special and significant this communion moment is right now. So Jesus, we thank you not only for what you did 2,000 years ago, but for what you're doing right now in this room, changing and transforming hearts and lives right before our very eyes. So it is in your name, Jesus, that we have been waiting and seeking and searching and praying and hoping. And it is in you, Jesus, that we have finally found life this Christmas. It's in your name that we pray and come to the table and sing. Amen. Amen. So I invite you to come to the front now. As always, on the left is gluten-free bread. We don't want anyone to be excluded from the table. So make your way to the front and use this time as a response to Jesus right now.